Today, we go all the way to the big, wonderful world of Disney. Yes, D23. I was there in the flesh watching the incredible studio presentation, watching all of the new series and shows and concepts and ideas coming from Lucasfilm, followed by Marvel, and then they ended with an amazing presentation that I am still just reeling from for the sequel to Avatar. You think you can resist it, but you're wrong. It's amazing. Yes, Andor, Mandalorian, Willow, Indiana Jones 5, Harrison Ford in the flesh. It was amazing. All the things from D23, all of the amazing new shows, films, series, I cover it all today. It is worth a, a devoted episode as well as we discover, we explore this word, this this ominous, this ominous moniker, gatekeeping, the gatekeeper. Have you heard it? Has it been applied to you? Is it being used in its proper context? We go on the other side of the gates to explore what all this gatekeeping is about anyway on an all new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. This is a show where I, as a storyteller, get to celebrate all of the stories that I love as I have collected comics my entire life. Some of those stories are about the creators, the people behind the scenes. Some of those stories are about the adaptations, how these stories have been taken to uh, screens big and small. Some of them are just about the stories and the characters themselves because when it comes down to it, I love to tell stories and I'm so privileged that I got to tell stories for a living. I, I literally have been telling stories for a living since I was 18 years old when I got hired in the comic book field and now... Nearly 37 years later, I am able to share with you guys the stories that I have learned along the way, whether it is, again, interviews or um, firsthand uh, interactions with some of my favorite creators, the people that made the stories that I love so much, and then talk about where those stories are headed, how those stories have been adapted onto, again, the big screen, onto streaming. Let's take, for instance, Daredevil Born Again. A lot of buzz. Charlie Cox coming back. He's doing his thing with Disney, Disney Plus now, not no longer Netflix, as I understand it. Upon being, you know, in the in the, in the crowd at D twenty three this last weekend, this big giant Disney convention, you know, they're going to start fresh. It's it's not going to be connected to Netflix, which I was a little startled to hear. It's got Vincent D'Onofrio returning as Kingpin, but those stories that you saw. On Netflix and even the invocation of the title Born Again. I mean, Born Again. That is a Frank Miller masterpiece. Frank Miller is a writer and artist that electrified the comics industry. He is still among the living, doing amazing works. He's got his own label that he's producing now. I was able to <laughs> tell Frank in the elevator uh, in San Diego. I'm like, Frank, I don't know that you would even know I had a podcast, but if you ever listen to it, uh, maybe a, a third of the shows are about you and, and I just love you. And he knows I love him. And he, he, he knows that I love him and, uh, he just laughed and, and, and we had a really good time, uh, just kind of catching up. But the truth is Frank Miller is like the, the Martin Scorsese of comics. He has truly, uh, moved the needle as much as anyone could possibly move the needle in the course of their career. 
creating uh, electrifying, you know, new visions of Daredevil that made that character relevant in a way that he had he he just was not in the 20th century. Taking Daredevil to number one, a, a book that I have shared. If you've listened to this before, I love sharing this story. It's it's an absolute historic fact that Daredevil had been downgraded to bi-monthly six issues a year, every other month. Frank Miller came on. He started writing and drawing it. Not only did they up the circulation and make it monthly due to the demand and the response from kids like me, because it's 1979 and 1980 when I am picking up those books, okay? That means I am 12 and 13 and just going gaga and goo-goo over the work that he's doing. I mean, it was it was just amazing that, that this visionary, young writer-artist sharing his passions. He clearly liked martial arts films, uh, gangster movies, and he threw all of this kind of East meets West influence into Daredevil and transformed the entire pace, outlook, feel, design of the book. Born Again was the culmination of a years-long conflict that he had set up with between Daredevil and Kingpin. And Kingpin, prior, prior to Frank Miller taking over Daredevil, was a Spider-Man villain. He is now associated with Daredevil because of one creator, Frank Miller. Think about that. Think about... Of all the things I've shared with you, think about how resonant that absolute fact is. One guy comes in, takes a decades-long villain of Spider-Man, created in the pages of Spider-Man, a Spider-Man nemesis, convinces the powers that be that I can do a whole lot more with him, you know, with him uh, thwarting and 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 in conflict with Daredevil, and he becomes as relevant, as threatening, as terrifying, as complex a character as he's ever become. Kingpin was never more interesting to me than under the pen of Frank Miller, who really built him out, uh, increased the dimension and, and the width of his character, his marriage, his his uh, his motivations, and really the, the sinister nature of him. I, he was never somebody that I thought, oh, this guy's a terrifying person. But in, in, in the Spider-Man books, I never thought that. But in Daredevil, whoa. And Born Again is completely based on on Frank Miller's seminal, there is a, you know, if, if you didn't already know this, there is a trade paperback. It's called Daredevil Born Again. It is the entire saga. Frank had no longer, he was no longer drawing Born Again because, because at the time that he wrote Born Again, he was writing and drawing Batman The Dark Knight Returns, the seminal work that transformed Batman to what it is today to the Batman that you're getting now, to the Pattinson Batman and all that have come before. Every writer who has done Batman since Frank transformed Batman has been doing Frank Miller's Batman. That's just the long and the short of it. And so have the majority of the artists. And that is how resonant this guy is. So sometimes, you know, I am telling you about the storytellers and sometimes I am telling you about the stories that they told. And it is with great passion and with great conviction because I am telling you my escape is always is always going to be comic books. It's always going to be comic books. Now, you know, even in times of like great tragedy, whether it's personal or something that we all share like COVID or 9-11, I turn to comic books to escape more than I turn to movies because you can just get lost in a comic with your own thoughts and your own interpretation and looking at the art and looking at the word balloons and the sequences and our imaginations take hold. I, I do not discount that the same is true of great film, cinematic experiences, television, streaming. But for me, my sweet spot, the one that I prefer is comics, which is why I share it all the time. But they have now become this amazing springboard. So yes, 
I, I, I am really going out of my way to sh share with you that if this is the first time that you are coming across this podcast because some of your friends recommended it to you, maybe it was on in the comic book store uh, and, and you overheard it, however you found your way here, uh, I, I just, this is a podcast where I, as a storyteller, share with you the stories I love and the people who made those stories. And today we're going to do two quick things. We're going to talk a little bit about D23. It was massive. It was huge. It was as big as you could possibly anticipate. And uh, I just want to kind of run down how I saw it because there's 8,000 people in that audience on Saturday for the studio panels. It was Lucasfilm, it was Marvel, and it was 20th Century Fox. And I just, I'm going to tell you how I broke it down, how I saw it, some of the thoughts and the uh, the, the the kind of opinions that I shaped while all of this different, uh, all of these different stories were being shared with us. I'm going to tell you right now, the, the president of uh, Disney, his name is, uh, I think it's Alan Bergman. Uh, you know what? I probably messed that up. I, I, whoever it was, the head, the head of the studio of Disney, who, who kind of everyone answers to, he a couple of times said, isn't this great content? And I'm not a big fan of content. I don't like that word. Uh, even if I use it, I don't like it. Uh, it sounds like, uh, ingredients for, for soup or, uh, or pasta or a lasagna contents. Look at all the content we're bringing you. This is great content. No, these are great stories. And, uh, and stories and characters. And that's what was shared with us uh, at the D23 panel. Then we're going to pivot to discuss a, 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 a term that is taking on increased importance, maybe across all spectrums of life. And it's called gatekeeping. The, the, I'm going to analyze the, uh, the term and the use or pass, possibly the abuse and this new application of this very loaded term called gatekeeping. And I'm going I'm to kind of give you my own experiences as, as well as some of the most recent experiences. We're going to kind of, you know, just, you'll see where I'm at by the end of it, give you some things to think about. And, 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 and again, like I said, the most important is as a publisher and writer and creator and uh, producer of comics. Again, if you, if you've never heard of my work, uh, at least 10,000 pages of work that I have published over 4,000 pages that I have written and drawn myself. Uh, this has been my passion, this industry. I love it. Uh, the greatest thing about comics is you can make your own comics. If you, if they don't let you follow your vision in exa exactly like film, except easier, you just get a piece of paper and load it up with ideas. And you know, if you want to publish it black and white, publish it in black and white. You want to make it in color, make it in color. You want to distribute yourself, distribute yourself today. Direct to consumer is huge. Uh, comic books are a great expression. And, uh, I think they're the, they're not easy to make because you got to fill that blank page, but you don't need a film crew and hundreds of people and good people because, because streaming and television and, you know, any film entertainment is a huge group effort and it takes a lot of, takes so much work by everyone, which is why I don't like to, um, uh, engage in a lot of negativity in regards to film and television. And I'm going to be very cautious as I discuss with you some of the stuff in D23, because a lot of these people gave their months, their years, their lives to creating this work. They, they worked long, long hours, uh, on the set, on location, in, in the rain, in the cold, in the, in the, you know, the heat. I mean, a couple of people on stage doing some of the different Marvel shows in Atlanta because that's where they sh they shoot so much of their stuff. I mean, Atlanta can continues to be like the new Hollywood. You get your Marvel movies, 
uh, that are filmed there. You get your Marvel streaming shows. You get Walking Dead. You get a bunch of the stuff on the CW. I mean, Atlanta has become a huge, uh, you know, capital of film commerce. And it's because they give great kickbacks. And uh, it's cheaper to film there than it is in New York or Southern California. And especially with the volume of product that's coming out now, that matters. So D23... You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and pedal as softly as I can. Did I live everything I saw? I didn't. I, I did not. I, I was, I was, in many ways, I was, I don't want to use disappointed. Disappointed is too strong of a word, but uh, misled is too strong of a word. But I, I you know, I, I, there was a serious lack of enthusiasm and lack of excitement across a great deal of the stuff that they shared. But I'm going to hit the sweet spot. And I believe in no uncertain terms that uh, the, the, the gathering for this giant studio panel at D23, again, it looked like 8,000 people. It looked as big, if not bigger, than Hall H. And uh, I've been to a couple of D23s now, and their presentations are enormous. Uh, a couple of years ago, when The Rock and Emily Blunt came out to promote Jungle Cruise, they both came out on literally like, like life-size boats that were on wheels that came in through opposite curtains and met in the middle of the stage, and then they both disembarked off their boats to make their presentation. I mean, these were big, giant. That that what I just told you that is not cheap. That is maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars to make the boat, to get the clearance for the boat, to get the union to put the boat in there, to get it on the tracks, to get the wheels, to push the rock and Emily Blunt, you know, on either side, deliver them, and then to push them off. I mean, just to, to fly that talent in. Again, you're, 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 you're flying private. You're flying first class. I mean, again, think of all that goes into bringing these people to promote their different stories and their movies and all of the stuff that, they're, that they are there to share with you uh, at each of these events, whether it's Hall H or whether it's D23. And I've covered to you a little sidebar. I've covered to you the reason that New York Comic Con... Uh, cannot compete with Hall H is because the studios have, and they've told me to, to my face, they count the cost of flying talent out to New York. And it is generally during the time where everyone is filming. Hall H in July, not a whole lot is filming. Maybe a giant movie is filming, but the majority of your shows are not back on the schedule. They're not back in front of the cameras. So your talent is free first and foremost. So it's not going to cost you anything to pull them from production. You're not going to lose days shooting. And at the same time, you got to compensate that talent. Not everyone comes for free, but by the time you get to New York, shows are being made. There, it's, it's October. Uh, people are on set. They're filming. They're making their content in much greater numbers than they are in July of every summer. So, you know, New York doesn't get as much of the big draws uh, as 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 San Diego does, just on the fact of the schedule of production alone. Then count in that. It generally costs more. It is New York is a more expensive venue, a more expensive flight, a more expensive hotel room. And when you when you go that across ten or twelve people, you know this giant expansive cast of characters. Uh, I mean Avatar, the Avatar uh, presentation, which was the end of D twenty three. They brought up like twelve people. They brought the four principals and then a bunch of the people playing the kids. And at that point, you're like, okay, if that's New York Comic Con, that's an East Coast show. They are flying them and putting them up in hotels. You know, overnight, so that's and and then again, they all have probably a well, let's say for a lack of a better word, a handler, an agent, a manager, 
somebody in PR that is that is contractually obligated to come with them. So 12 becomes 24, which means 24 flights, 24 rooms, um, 24 cars to pick up and drop off again. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm boring you with the math, but think about that when you think about it. These people just don't show up and drive in. They're, they're, they're not Rob Liefeld that, that has lived in Orange County his whole life and just drives to D23 because he's like, hey, this is great. I love it. I love Disney. We're going to celebrate Disney. Woohoo! Um, here's the deal. If you don't know what D23 is, it's a huge uh, biannual uh, celebration of all things Disney. And all things Disney have has increased. I mean, all things Disney now includes Avatar. All things Disney now includes Deadpool. Now, uh, all things Disney includes Percy Jackson. Okay? The Fox portfolio has filled out. Uh, you've got, you know, the stuff that they have from ABC. Uh, I mean, you had Dancing with the Stars people there because that's going to, you know, Disney+. Plus. You've got your Hulu content because that's associated with Fox, which is now completely owned by Disney. Disney's portfolio is vast. And you've got the Star Wars You've got the Marvel, and then you've got the 20th Century Fox categories. And again, when Fox starts making more genre stuff, let's say if they get a really aggressive Planet of the Apes, you know, universe going. I mean, it's just going to be more. I mean, James Cameron already said he's about to shoot Avatar 4, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But let me tell you, I did a signing. I was fortunate enough to do a signing on the floor of D23. I was I, I was able to get around, shop, visit. Um, this thing is packed. This was... Somewhere, whatever, like, rung of attendance is right below the biggest shows, New York and uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Then you've got D23. It was more than WonderCon, more than Emerald City, more than C2E2. And when I was signing, I would ask people, well, hey, where'd you travel from? Colorado. Where'd you travel from? Utah. Where'd you travel from? Hawaii. Where'd you travel from? Peruvia. Where'd you travel from? France. Yes, I said Peruvia. Uh... And these people were also excited. And I said, wow, you really love Disney? We love Disney. We've been looking forward to this for a year. People love, and again, now Disney is Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Winnie the Pooh, Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan, okay? Uh, it's the Avengers. It's Deadpool. It's the X-Men. It's Planet of the Apes. It is. It's Tron, okay? I bought a Tron I, I bought a, I bought a Tron shirt at the, at the Disney store, a special D23 Tron shirt. I bought, I bought Willow. I bought Willow action figures, guys. Because Willow's coming back, right? Okay, you saw D23. You saw that Lucasfilm showed you Willow. So this is a massive, 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 massive Disney experience. And if you don't think people love Disney, then you haven't taken your head out of the sand. Because let me tell you something. People love Disney. They love the brand. They, I mean, there are people with Snow White shirts, Sleeping Beauty shirts, Little Mermaid shirts, Hercules shirts, Lion King shirts, Aladdin shirts. I mean, just on the Disney cartoons that we grew up with in the you know 80s and 90s alone. That, that there's a giant fan base now that they've given that extra branches and gone into all the different genres, whether it's Marvel or Star Wars or all the stuff that I've already talked to you about. I mean, it is expansive. It is incredible. So the biggest panel every year, and again, this is the third one I've been to, and it's always this way, is the studio presentation days because you know you're going to get the big, you know, you're going you're, you're to get your Star Wars stuff, you're going to get your Marvel stuff, and you're going to get whatever Fox is coming out with. Lucasfilm kicked it off which I thought was interesting because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to give you my grade A++++. Lucasfilm carried the day. Lucasfilm had by far and away the very best presentation. They brought the broadest amount of material. Uh, I think the most accomplished amount of material. And I'm going to share with you exactly what that all that what that what all is. Uh, they kicked off with Andor, which obviously is premiering in a couple days. It's really soon here on Disney+. Plus. 
for those of you who loved Rogue One, I loved Rogue One. I think it's one of the best, if not the best, Star Wars film. I think it's that good. I think that last, I mean, that third act is crazy. I think the first two acts build up an incredible amount of uh, of, of urgency and consequence with these characters. And then we all know, I mean, we know what happened to the spies, but just incredibly compelling. And that third act, uh, you know, where they're desperately trying to download the, the, the Death Star plans and then that amazing last couple of minutes with Darth Vader which takes us right up to you know A New Hope in 1977 Star Wars I mean I remember in the theater as a standalone movie I just could not have been more impressed I loved all the leads I thought it was perfectly cast so Andor looks to be a giant hit they showed they brought the cast out they showed you know everything that they've kind of already shown we, we're, we're ready for it we're prepared for it Tony Gilroy is one of my favorite writer-directors. I love Michael Clayton. I think he is um, a really smart writer. I love that I read that he's like, I wanted to make a Star Wars show that you didn't have to like Star Wars to like, which I think is a fantastic approach. Uh, spies, you know, it, 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 are, I love spies. I love I love Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. It doesn't have to be James Bond for me. I love spy stuff. I love the Americans. I love anything. Uh, I love spycraft, okay, to, to begin with. So, you know, Going further into kind of subterfuge and and uh, and, and spy uh, subject matter in in a galaxy far far away, I'm in. I'm all the way in. So the Star Wars stuff was Andor, and then of course you know, and they, and and they reiterated the last time D two twenty three happened was obviously further back because of the pandemic, and it was 2019. It was August of 2019, and they teased us with the material from the Mandalorian, and. We're now about to have a third season of The Mandalorian. I mean, we've, we've endured, not endured, we've, we've consumed and loved and lavished our praise over Mandalorian 1 and 2. And, and, and you got to understand what Mandalorian represents to Lucasfilm. They were kind of limping, uh, uh, limping into kind of the, the, the presentation in 2019. Uh, Solo had not been received well. Uh, Last Jedi, which I don't understand, is one of my favorite Star Wars films. I, I, I will argue with all of you about that from the minute I saw it. And you can t- Robert Kirkman was with me at the premiere, at the world premiere of The Last Jedi, and it came out, and I was raving about it. My son, Luke Liefeld, could tell you I was raving about it. From the palace uh, battle with, with, with Rey and Kylo, and uh, all the way to that last battle where Luke is astral projecting himself, I, I was over, just through the moon. I could not have been excited. It, it was my sweet spot. That movie resonates. I love it. I I understand that people got crazy, but I think people reassessed it years later. And now I've I found that that movie has a generally better opinion amongst all of you than it used to have. But for me, I loved it from the get-go. And they had not yet closed out the saga, okay? And uh, and that movie was still coming, but Solo had not done well the summer before. And, and, and uh, the last Star Wars film had not been received well. And so she rolls out this Mandalorian concept, and they're all very excited. And they brought, at the time, the three lead, the three uh, leads of the show. That's all they brought in 2019. And uh, I mean, that was Carl Weathers and Pedro Pascal and Gina Carano, and that was it. They brought those three out. They brought Favreau. They they showed us a teaser reel. And as you all know, later that fall, Mandalorian came out, and it was probably the last great memory all of us had before the pandemic hit, because it it played right up until the holidays. Uh, and then 2020, I mean, then 2019 turned to 2020 and we were in a pandemic and that was crazy. But the Mandalorian like showed them the way you would literally want to talk about, you know, the way this was the way the Mandalorian was the way it turned around Lucasfilm uh, entirely, completely. Think about this. There's not been a theatrical Star Wars release since 2019. It is nearly, it is, we are in the, the last quarter 
of 2022. There is no film being made for 2023. There is nothing on tap to film for 2023, for, for 2024. There is no movie set to film in 2024. For 2025, there is no theatrical Star Wars releases currently in the works. There are no cameras set to roll. Now, they could announce it tomorrow, and that would change the game. But as of now, as of right now, you will go into next year with five calendar years with no Star Wars you know, theatrical releases. All of the Star Wars that we're getting is Disney+. Plus. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I was going to bring this up when I got to Kevin Feige and the Marvel stuff. I don't know what the expectations are and how they meet them. I don't know that they have their knowledge of the views and the eyeballs that are watching all this, but clearly creating Star Wars content for, ooh, I said content. Okay, demerits for me. Creating Star Wars story material for Disney Plus is a giant appeal for the platform for that app for, for I mean that's what it is Disney Plus is an app you download it and you get all this cool stuff you get all these different worlds all these access to the entire Disney library practically whatever that means in terms of subscriptions and eyeballs it's clearly important because it is the sole domain of Star Wars and has been since they closed it out with the last of the you know the last JJ uh, Abrams closed out the Ray saga um we then pivoted now to Mandalorian, which gave us two seasons, then gave us the Book of Boba Fett. We were given uh, Tales of the Jedi. We've been given the last Clone Wars. We've been given the Bad Batch. And we're about to get Andor and uh, Ahsoka. I mean, you guys, it's content that is only available on Disney+. Plus. We have not gone into a theater and packed it to see a Star Wars film, you know, as of this Christmas... It will be, you know, three solid years, 19 to 20, 20 to 21, 21 to 22. There's nothing for next year, so now just call it four, and there's nothing for the, the year after. There will not be a theatrical Star Wars release for five years, for half a decade. But now this stuff lives on the platform. And The Mandalorian 3 obviously met with raucous approval. People went crazy. When you see the camaraderie on stage between Favreau and, and uh, Dave Filoni and Kathleen Kennedy... It is, it is magical. They they truly have crazy respect. And it's like three lieutenants. Obviously, the commander is Kathleen Kennedy, but we know that Favreau and Filoni are incredible lieutenants in the Star Wars world. And, and one thing that John Favreau said, and he was very warm in expressing uh, to... Uh, he was very warm in expressing to, to, to Kathleen Kennedy, was like, look, look, we know when we hit upon people that really love Star Wars. There's, there's people who like films and they like TV and they like, you know, they're, they're filmmakers. But but when you get somebody who Star Wars is special, it's like it is to us. And so many of the people that are that are telling these stories across the galaxy right now. And I think it was special to Ryan Johnson, too. I thought he was fantastic. Again, I I, I will... The Last Jedi was... I loved it. It was... It was fan, I mean, the guy is literally so ridiculously talented, whether it's Looper or the knife out, Knives Out stuff. But I guess a couple of the buttons that he pushed... Just didn't get the immediate attention with The Last Jedi, which created the knee-jerk reaction, which had them step away from him. It's so sad when that, that like the political stuff kind of occurs and there's posturing and there's, well, the fans aren't liking this, so let's take a, back, you know, a step back. It's unfortunate, but that's what happened. But at the end of the day, I think, again, The Last Jedi is fantastic. Uh, uh, Mandalorian has been 
just exhilarating. I cannot believe I get that quality uh, of, of filmmaking on my on my streaming on my on my you know in my in my house on my 4K you know HD TV. I mean, it's incredible. Season one and season two literally blew me away. Tonally, I thought Book of Boba Fett was obviously just like the rest of you. It was all over the place. There were some highs and some lows. Obi Wan was was shaky out the gate, but I'm going to tell you right now, I love the last three episodes. I love them. My family loved them. And here's the deal: my youngest son is. Um, I've, I've shared with you if you've you know I, I share with you guys a lot about my kids and. My youngest son is more of an anime manga guy. And when I say that, I mean almost too exclusively anime manga. I mean, whether it's on Hulu or Netflix, he is always watching some great new anime series, which is tons of hours. Um, I mean, lots of, I mean, just logging serious, serious minutes and serious hours, sometimes days. That's what he consumes. A couple weeks ago, I could hear from his room all of the themes from the prequels. And so one day we were having lunch. We were both making lunch in the kitchen. And I said, hey, have you been watching the prequels? He's like, dad, yeah. I mean, you, I was I was five when you took me to see Revenge of the Sith. I remember like it was yesterday. And, and, and remember how I crawled out of the theater on my on my belly like I was Anakin and my legs were burning. I'm like, yes, we, we, we talk of this often. And how you, <laughs> your brother and myself were like, uh, Chase is crawling on the carpet. And Chase was mumbling. Uh, you was my brother. This is how Chase talked. You was my brother, Anakin. So he was doing the Obi-Wan line while he was crawling like a guy whose arms and legs had been, you know, melted off. And, uh, I mean, the fact that he's sought out that material again and, and, and dived into it, those prequels have a legion of fans who saw them when they were five, six, seven, like my kids, and they love them, and they love all of the aspects of those and that's when, when they see Anakin Skywalker as played by Hayden Christensen, they have maybe a different reaction than you who went in as maybe a snobby adult and thought that you were better than those movies. When in reality, they were just the same to our kids as they were to us when we saw them in 1977, 1980, and 1983, okay? You know, again, George Lucas's peers dismissed all of the Star Wars films as kids' films. George, why would you make Kids films. Well, thank God George made kids films. Kids films that kick so much righteous ass that they are still inspiring. Now, I am looking, as I do this, at an Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark poster from Lucasfilm, produced by Kathleen Kennedy, okay? Frank Marshall, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas. I mean, they're all over this thing. So, so Lucasfilm has been a huge part of my life, but the fact that this material is now mined over and over and over again, and it's going straight to our TVs. Cannot be underestimated in, 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 in how, like, amazing that experience must be, for families with even young kids who may be seeing Obi Wan for the first time, and that's Darth Vader and Obi Wan battling in in front of their six or seven year old eyes for the first time. Can you imagine how much that blew you away? Whether it was Episode, you know, three or or five or six, however many episodes that last episode of Obi Wan literally. It felt like anime and manga with Obi-Wan throwing rocks and Darth Vader throwing boulders and that amazing lightsaber battle and that helmet cracked over. I mean, I was screaming and I'm in my 50s. I was like, no way. And like, trust me, I was possibly embarrassing my whole family uh, at, 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 at 8 o'clock in the morning as, as we were streaming that. Now, with Andor and Mandalorian Season 3, which that trailer just rocked the house, it brought the house down, you'd think they could fold up the tent. Leave the stage, call it a day, 
and they'd had a, a huge win on their hands. Except they then decided to bring out Harrison Ford and show us Indiana Jones number five footage. And let me tell you, it blew me away. Seeing Sala and Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones on screen again, seeing Harrison Ford on horseback riding through the streets of New York City being pursued by what looked like gangsters with Tommy guns, um, guys in suits with Tommy guns shooting out the windows and him riding his horse up to them and kicking his you know, heel through the glass and knocking the gun away so that the gun then shot through the windshield. I mean, then the next thing you see is the subway and Harrison Ford is riding his horse through the subway with a subway train, you know, coming towards him. Uh, I mean, you got tombs, you got, you know, giant mountain vistas, you got, you know, storms on the ocean. I mean, that that trailer, uh, and it ended with a great sequence where 80-year-old Indiana Jones uses his whip to get a bunch of looks like gangsters and criminals and mercenaries back in some sort of bar. And then he does it again. Get back, get back. Whips him twice. And then they all pull out their guns. And it's kind of a callback to the first Raiders with the big sword guy. And Indy jumps under the table as they all start firing. And there's an open window. You figure he's going out the window with that whip. That's kind of what I assumed was what we weren't shown what was what the next thing is because he's in a, a lot of trouble with all these guns firing at him. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge looked amazing. Uh, there was some other stuff. I, want, I don't want to spoil it completely, but there was some like, oh, there's some stuff that like raised my eyebrows. Like, am I seeing what I'm seeing here? Lucasfilm, I failed to mention that they also brought Willow and that trailer is online. And I'm going to tell you right now, it occurred to me, wow, this Willow series looks better and possibly cost more than the original Willow. So we're getting a literal, an upgrade. I, I feel like the Mandalorian, every single episode, every single season stands up with the greatest of the Star Wars film, films. The cinematic experiences. They are so well done. They look so amazing. They have amazing choreography, action, special effects, twists, turns. Um, Favreau definitely knows how to write serialized adventure. And Willow looks to be the same, except the quality so far superior to the original film that, again, I saw in my late teens. So Lucasfilm just, you know, they dropped the Andor, they dropped the Mandalorian, they dropped... The, the the Clone Wars, they dropped the Willow, and then they rode off into the sunset with Indiana Jones. And honestly, uh, I, I it, it, it was such a tough act to follow, it literally could not be followed. And uh, Lucasfilm is definitely coming strong. Their first theatrical release, literally, will be Indiana Jones, but no Star Wars. No Star Wars on tap for, again, I'm telling you, five years. If they started shooting today, they would barely make 2024. So, and they're not. And there's no plans to. So like I said, I think that five-year prediction is, is pretty strong. And think about it. The way that we consume Star Wars is almost exclusively, is exclusively on Disney Plus now. And come on, most of this stuff is amazing. Uh, again, Michael Gilroy, I mean, Tony Gilroy, who wrote Michael Clayton, uh, contributed to the Bourne legacy of movies. Uh, the guy is, and, 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 and uh, helmed the reshoots on Rogue One. Yes, I want to see the original Rogue One that we didn't see with so many so many of those scenes in the original trailer. I mean, when she says, I rebel, it's not in the movie. There's so much that isn't. I've been told there is an entirely Rogue One, there's an entire Rogue film, Rogue One movie that we didn't see because they wanted Kathleen Kennedy and the Disney powers wanted a different version, a different outcome. They hired Tony Gilroy. Entertainment Weekly was invited to the set. They actually did a first-person accounting all of the different weeks of reshoots. I mean, we, we saw a vastly different movie, but I loved it. Clearly, there is a Lord Miller shot 
like literally 90% of the solo film that we have never seen. That is also somewhere deep in some uh, cavernous vault. I, I, I think I think of the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark and that warehouse with all the that, that just becomes more and more and more expansive till you just can't believe how the, the the depth and the scope of this warehouse and everything that it contains. And I think I figure somewhere in there are the, are the cylinders of Rogue, the, the the first Rogue One and the and the first solo film that have been completely erased from history. So then Marvel came out, and uh, as represented by Maestro Marvel Maestro Kevin Feige. And look. Uh, Kevin Feige, I don't know him well. He is kind. He is polite. He's clearly talented. He has a vision. I think he has a difficult hand. I think he he has a really difficult hand. That difficult hand comes from the fact that Robert Downey Jr. is retired. Chris Evans is retired. Scarlett Johansson's character is dead. Uh, unfortunately, Chadwick Boseman passed. Those are four giant pillars of the Marvel phases that we loved and adored. And, the, and, and looking back, you kind of don't realize how important the crescendo uh, of Endgame was until you have lived in the post-Endgame. And now we have enough that we followed up with that it does make me wonder what they're thinking in regards to maybe uh, you know, setting the bar higher and trying to exceed what came before. The Shang-Chi movie and Eternals and Black Widow, all of which I enjoyed on different levels. I am not, I may be the only person who really thoroughly enjoyed Black Widow, but I did. Uh, Shang-Chi, I thought there was two-thirds of a really great movie there, enough that I, I really would, would overall say that I enjoyed it. Um, it just, it was hard for me having grown up with the Shang-Chi and Master of Kung Fu move, uh, graphic novels, comic books, of which there were so many. I mean, 125 plus comics when you count the Deadly, of Han- Deadly Hands of Kung Fu magazine that was running alongside of it. And I mean, the Deadly Hands of Kung Fu has two omnibuses of its own. That's how much material there was. Omnibuses collect like 40 to 50 pages worth of story. Those have two omnibuses alone. The Master the the, the master of Kung Fu, Shang-Chi original, 70s, 80s materials has four omnibuses. I mean, six omnibuses total. That's a lot of material that I inhaled. As a kid, I snorted all of those stories. So the heavy emphasis on magic was not something that I was expecting, but I still, I very much enjoyed uh, Shang-Chi, I think Simu Liu is fantastic. I think he's going to do great things in that role. Continue to do great things in that role. Eternals, I was happy that it existed on behalf of Jack Kirby. Uh, I would have to say um, it was more miss than hit. But, uh, you know, that 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 is, uh, it, it pains me to kind of, to, to, to say that. But uh, the last theatrical Marvel movie that I saw was Spider-Man No Way Home and I was blown away by it so much so that I got home at midnight and I made a podcast about it for you guys and told you how great it was without spoiling it. It was an incredible night. It was like the last big premiere before COVID shut down the business except COVID did not keep people from going to you know perform the business of seeing Spider-Man No Way Home because that was just something that was incredibly uh, potent in regards to you know Garfield you know, Toby Maguire and, uh, and and our boy our boy Tom Holland being back together on screen. That was a big, epic, awesome adventure. I did not make it to the end of Moon Knight. Uh, I did not watch What If, not even a single minute. I did not see Ms. Marvel. I have not seen She-Hulk. And I have not seen Doctor Strange, nor have I seen Thor 4. Doctor Strange 2 or Thor 4. I've just, I just took a break. I took a break uh, after No Way Home. And uh, I'm ready to reacquaint myself with Marvel again and get back on 
uh, track with Wakanda Forever. That looks great. And that looks great because Ryan Coogler is an important, fantastic, accomplished filmmaker. I had seen everything he did prior to Black Panther. He didn't need Marvel to make himself special. Peyton Reed, I've seen The Breakup. I've seen Bring It On. I've seen Down With Love. I love Peyton Reed. I think he's a talented, talented filmmaker outside of the Marvel universe. So I enjoy the Ant-Man films too. I think Wakanda Forever and Ant-Man 3 represent a huge possibility uh, for Marvel to have bigger hits than they have in the last, I'd say, 18, 19 months. It, it, it used to be that they just delivered the biggest, the baddest, and, uh, and uh, I mean, uh, just the biggest and the baddest and the most amazing and most important uh, accomplishments. They, they, they were counted on as kind of being the, 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 the gold standard uh, leading up to Endgame. And in, in that time since, I mean, you've got to realize something like Top Gun. I mean, I, I read a quote from John Hammond. He's right. Everything above us, he says, has capes or lightsabers, spaceships. Top Gun is a, you know, if, if you're Bill Maher, and I watched him the other night on, on his show. I watch Bill Maher all the time. I, 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 I like, I think he's a smart guy. I don't always agree with everything he says, but more often than not, I do. I think he's a really smart thinker. Um, he's also, I think, a little batshit crazy, but who isn't nowadays? But he, uh, he went on a rant about Top Gun being a giant propaganda film, and he attempted to shame people, which is going to lead kind of into, eventually, when I talk about the gatekeeping aspect of, of, of this podcast and, and, and wrap up with that. But uh, Top Gun is a giant militaristic adventure without lightsabers, magic, superpowers, laser beams, and it just united audiences, and it made it, it has done so much business. I don't like to say make money. The money gets you into the seats and the seats have been warm for five months. People just keep showing up and watching Top Gun even when Top Gun is now available on your TV screen to get it home. I've got a digital copy, okay? But people are still going in droves uh, to see it. It's United People. And next summer is Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones. Tom Cruise is not going to slow down. Mission Impossible is going to be monster. And uh, Indiana Jones is going to be monster. Possibly Indiana Jones is the top gun of the summer of 2023. Who knows? It, it, it certainly has all the elements uh, in, in alignment to make that happen. But for the longest time, before the pandemic, it was Marvel that was making, uh, that was putting the butts in the seats and 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 continuing to burst through and and, uh, and, and, and create these new benchmarks. And we couldn't believe how much comic book movies were uniting people, my kids, family members, people that I never even believed would go and see superhero movies were in line. You know, 75, 78-year-old people in line at Starbucks talking about, are we going to make Avengers in time? And I was like, oh my gosh, this sweet senior citizen couple is trying to get their coffee to get to the theater as fast as they can to see this superhero film. It was just, it's mind-blowing. So now... When you don't have Captain America, you don't have Iron Man, you you get to rent Spider-Man occasionally. Black Panther, unfortunately, is gone. Black Widow has passed, or the Scarlett Johansson version. Um, there is a different, uh, you know, deck of cards that you have to deal with. And, 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 I mean, the fourth Thor has come and gone. The fourth Thor film. Good God Almighty, the fourth Thor film. So Marvel has kind of new mountains to climb, new achievements to to uh, 
to, you know, to try and, to try and, for lack of a better word, you know, perform new achievements to perform. I mean, and they're going to do it with a new roster. Uh, maybe it's elements of the Thunderbolts. Maybe it's, you know, elements of some of the stuff that's going on in their streaming shows, which again, I have not, the reason I don't comment and you don't hear me go on large rants is I, I have not, I have not engaged in any of these, but I do see the box office. And, you know, China is always a giant component. China gave $300 million to the Venom movie, which is how Venom got to a billion dollars. Think about what I just told you. I think it was like $290 million, so just I'm rounding it up to three hundred. but two hundred ninety. million. You know how much $290 million is? Or, or some substantial amount. Because Venom did not do anywhere near the amount of business that other superhero films did domestically. But overseas, it cleaned up people like Monsters, people like Spider-Man, people love Venom. They showed up. And it got that movie to a benchmark that no one saw coming, but it did it via foreign foreign markets. Well, China hasn't been available to most anybody in the pandemic. It certainly wasn't available to Top Gun, except Top Gun without China did pre-pandemic Marvel numbers. And, and so it's possible without the giant foreign grosses to do what those Marvel films were doing because we saw Tom Cruise do it with Top Gun. But the Marvel movies of late are not hitting those benchmarks. So I'm curious. I think Wakanda Forever will be the first one to do it in, in the last three years. And then it's, it's scattershot. I'm not sure which ones will hit and, and resonate and push to, to, the, to those old kind of, uh, kind of eye-bulging grosses. Because again, the, the amount of butts they were putting in the seats, the amount of support they were rallying uh, was, was phenomenal. And it was the talk of everywhere you went among, among people at your, you know, at your, your, your coffee clutch, people at your Bible study, people sitting next to you in class, you know, people going, uh, you know, to the study group with you. I mean, all manner of life out to dinner at the restaurants, at the diners. This is the stuff that people were talking about. It was, it was, it had, it had, it had exploded throughout the culture. There seems to be a slight regression and now we'll see if they can reset. And I know for a fact, people thought they were going to get X-Men news and Fantastic Four news and Deadpool news and none of that came. And, you know, um, I, I tried to get out in front of some of it, but people also then don't like when you give them answers that they don't like. Um, I tried to get out in front of it and tell you there's no Deadpool news. I knew for a fact, for good reason, that you wouldn't be getting any. But but um, I was, you know, people hit back at me, said, I don't know anything. I'm not in the loop. I don't know, you know what I'm talking about. Of course, it's going to be there. And then, of course, it wasn't there. And neither, like I said, was X-Men or Fantastic Four. And it seems like that is what the people want. And what I would just... I, I, I don't know why they aren't giving people what they want. And I'm not saying that, that the stuff that they're crafting and creating and giving to us isn't well done. We didn't know how much we wanted or needed WandaVision, which is a really, you know, high benchmark achievement level. But uh, we got it and it was great. I mean, it was, it, was, it was fantastically realized. And it wasn't like we were all sitting around going, we need WandaVision. Again, you can't always cater to your audience, but right now your audience is making it very clear to you that what they want is the continuation of the X-Men. They want it to continue. I mean, we are now, again, much like uh, Star Wars, you are going five years without an X-Men film, minimum. They're not filming one right now, and they're not going to film one really next year, so you're not getting one in 2025. So unlikely you're getting one in 2024, and the last one was 2019, and that was because it was delayed. So, I mean, 
You're putting five years between these X-Men films. I was on set of Deadpool 2 this time four years ago. What am I saying? This time five years ago. They were filming it in 2017. I was there for the last few weeks of filming because I wanted to be there for the scenes that had Cable and Domino and Deadpool there. And Fox was kind enough to put me on set. And I was there in, in September 2017. That is five years ago as of me talking into this mic speaking to you right now. The movie itself was in theaters. Deadpool 2 was in theaters four years ago. Well, they're not shooting one right now. It's not in theaters next year, so it won't have been in theaters for five years. The last time Ryan Reynolds stepped on the soundstage to make Deadpool was five years ago. It possibly, if they film it next spring and summer, will be six years. Six years since he he was filming it, and it'll be six years. If he films it next spring, summer, it'll be six years since he made it. And then if it comes out, holy crap, it'll be six years between Deadpool films, period. Because it was four years ago this summer, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 20, wait, 18 and 19, 19, 20, 20, 21. Yeah, four years. <laughs> 2017, I was on set. That's five years ago. It was in theaters about four years ago and three months. It's not coming out next summer. So it's going to be five years between theatrical releases, probably six years between theatrical releases at the very best. Deadpool movies aren't as expensive. You don't have to account for Star Destroyers, other worlds. Uh, you don't have to, you know, account for giant alien races, tons of latex, you know, applications, uh, special effects, all of the different gizmo, gizmos and, uh, and, and doohickeys that go into making these big, giant, expensive science fiction films. You can make a Deadpool film uh, much more in a, in a much more grounded way. So again, if they could make it in the spring and the summer of next year, then it, then then coming out that would be six years between theatrical releases. That's a long time. That's a really long time. Uh, I, I I joked with Kevin Feige uh, the last time. Uh, no, no, it wasn't the last time. I saw him. I we, we spoke in San Diego. It was at Spider-Man No Way Home. I did. I pulled him aside and I said, Kevin, will you tell me will I be sixty? Will I be 60 when 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 the next movie comes out? And he goes, no, Rob, you won't be. I said, because right now I'm, I'm 54. Will it be another six years? He goes, no. We'll get it out before you're 60. <laughs> so I'm going to hold him to it. Because two more years, I'm 57. I, I think I think Deadpool will be out when I'm 57. Don't hold me to it. But that's, that's my best guess and hope. But that is what people want. Because when I did my signing, people just bemoaned to me. You could, they were in pain. They wanted Fantastic Four. They wanted a cast. They wanted more than they got. They wanted X-Men. They, they wanted more than they got. They wanted something on Deadpool. They wanted more than what they got. And this is what the people want. Give the people what they want. Marvel, that is my mission statement. And how in that is that in any way a negative thing? I think it is the best possible thing that they could focus on. Whatever reasons, these things aren't coming together. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. Like I said at the beginning of this, Movies take a lot of time. It take a lot of effort. It, it, they employ a lot of people, a lot of hardworking people who adjust the lights, the sound, the wires, the catering, um, the, the, you know, who, 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 who clean the trailers. Um, I mean, again, it, they provide so many jobs beyond just your actors and your director. It takes an army to make these things. And uh, I just am hopeful that those armies will be summoned soon to make the stuff that the fans are being the most vocal about. Finally, Fox showed Avatar four different scenes. I'm not going to get into it other than to say that the technology has gone way above and beyond what we saw in 2009. The 
the crispness of the picture, the tightness, the detail, the depth of field. They gave us 3D glasses. They showed us four separate scenes. I immediately, 40 seconds into the first footage, said, oh my gosh, I'll be seeing this 10 times. This is like another Top Gun uh, you know, interaction for me just on visuals alone because I love looking at beautiful moving pictures. The color, the detail, the CGI of these uh, the, 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 the citizens and the creatures and the, and the forests of Pandora, I, I, I was completely swept away. They showed killer action sequences, killer dramatic sequences, um, amazing underwater sequences. Avatar 2, the people who bet against it, I just feel sorry for you. When has betting against James Cameron paid off for anyone? Anyway, the studio presentation was fantastic. Lucasfilm came out first owned the space. They have really got amazing stuff coming down the pipeline. I can tell you with my own eyes, with my own emotions, I really reacted. I'm going to tell you one thing. In a couple of the action sequences that they showed us in Avatar, pivoting back to this, this is the one thing I want to share. There was, an, uh, there was a level of violence. I'm like, is this movie R? Is this movie R-rated? Like, it, it's got a visceral quality that none of the other stuff we saw had. Not Willow, not Indiana Jones, not Mandalorian. I mean, there are there was visceral action, I want to say blades and arrows penetrating, going through people, being thrust into people's chest and necks that I was like, whoa, this is like, wow. Cameron is going to dance to the edge of that R-rated line as much as he possibly can without excluding the families that obviously he wants to experience this so badly. But uh, Lucasfilm was phenomenal, exceeded all expectations. Marvel, um, I think... Is, is is trying to find what its next big anchor is. I mean, what is the anchor? What anchors Marvel in your mind? What anchors Marvel? And if you say Spider-Man, that's at Sony. You know, what is anchoring Marvel Comics, the MCU right now? What is it? I think that's why people want X-Men and the Fantastic Four so badly. Because it, you can, you can as much as you want Thunderbolts to fill that space, that's a questionable proposition. But what people want is X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Deadpool, period. It's the Fox stuff. Avatar, amazing. Just exceeded every possible expectation. I was I was like, oh, I can't believe the, the, the technical prowess. Again, they gave us special 3D glasses to watch in this presentation on multiple screens. It was right in front of me. It was directly in front of me. I could not believe the visuals. I could not believe the consequences. I mean, there's an exciting story there. I don't want to give away too many elements. I don't want to spoil it for you. We don't really do the spoilers. And I generally don't do rundowns like this. I leave it to other people who run to their cameras and upload their YouTubes and tell you, ooh, golly gee shucks what they saw. But again, I'm a storyteller. This is what I do for a living. I tell stories. I've always told stories. My stories have transcended from comics to film to TV to video games. I love stories. I love sharing stories with you and I love telling you about the stories that I love and the stuff that I loved coming out of D23 was all the Lucasfilm stuff. It literally blew me away and Avatar blew me away. We have some great stuff in store and I am hopeful that that Disney that that Marvel will find its new set of anchors, its new set of kind of pillars that really uh, define the universe going forward and that it can elevate and push all of its expectations and its accomplishments both story-wise, cinematography-wise, um, just visual storytelling to the next possible level and kind of get the groove back. And uh, so, I mean, long story short, a lot of good stuff coming out, a lot of good stuff to look forward to. So the, the term gatekeeper, gatekeeping, has, has uh, been circulating of late. 
due to a couple of different incidences. And uh, I'm going to tell you my first encounter with that term because I hadn't encountered the word gatekeeper or gatekeeping in the manner that it's being shared until they were showing, well, until we were all watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the second show on Disney Plus. What was it? The, uh, you know, spring, summer of the pandemic. I remember it was like the first or second episode. I was trying to finish it before I went and got my first uh, back shot, you know, in March of, of, of uh, I guess, 2020. Late March, early April, because, you know, whatever they were, they were now bringing us. No, I'm sorry. It was later than that. Whatever. April, May, you know. So I was uh, consuming the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I really have always sparked to U.S. Agent. I thought he was a cool character. I thought it was cool that they got Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's kid, Wyatt Russell, to play uh, the character in in, in the show. And uh, I thought, like, this guy is is a cool... When he he appeared in the comics, when he he very, very first appeared in, in the comic books... And took on the mantle. And I mean, he was everywhere. He was in the Captain America comic. He was in the Avengers comic. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was uh, just bouncing all around. He he first appeared as Super Patriot in Captain America 323. And then they evolved him and he became the U.S. agent. He became a replacement. He had that cool black and red costume. Which, again, black and red is a is a license to, uh, to, 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 to commercial appeal. I, I know this for a fact. And... I thought he was striking visually. I liked that he was kind of a uh, bad boy version of Captain America. And he really took off in terms of popularity and was spearheading any number of stories and storylines, eventually appearing in Avengers West Coast, which was drawn by, you know, one of my favorite, written and drawn by one of my favorite guys, John Byrne, who I've, you know, had nothing but effusive praise for no matter what, episode of the podcast you listen to, I probably, the two names I drop the most often are Frank Miller and John Byrne, two seminal names alongside Jack Kirby in, 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 in my experiences in terms of being influential. So I have one of my favorite creators also depicting him in the pages of an Avengers spinoff title, Avengers West Coast, as well as these dominant storylines that are playing out in Captain America. So, so John Walker, U.S. agent slash super patriot, was already very popular in the comics and with kids my age, okay? Because if you're coming out in 1987, 1986, 1988. I mean, again, I'm 18, 19, and 20. I'm, I'm a young consumer, and I'm digging these stories. Well, the online community of, of, of you know, I mean, we kind of almost have to put in, in parentheses or quotes. I mean, the online community is its own kind of thing in and of itself. And the online community had decided that John Walker, U.S. agent, was reflective of whether you want to say ultra-conservative, ultra-Republican, ultra-MAGA, even to Nazi. People thought he was like this white supremacist, Nazi-styled character. Oh, that's what they had decided he was on a lot of online chatter. And if you you promoted a, a preference for this character, you were immediately attacked... It felt like bots. It's weird. I've, I've had it happen to me several 
times when like suddenly hundreds of responses come your way. They're terribly insulting. They're, they're, they're very much of a vicious nature and they are there to tear you down, to shame you. And because I had said like, Oh, I love John Walker. He lives up to, you know, my expectations because I loved him so much in the comic books. And people were like, oh, you, you like Nazis, Liefeld? You like Nazis? You like white supremacists, jackholes? You know, they were reacting to the performance from Wyatt Russell as John Walker, as U.S. agent on the Falcon Winter Soldier. And because I said I liked him, I was immediately categorized as either a white supremacist, a Nazi. Um, and I said, guys, this is not how he was received in the comics gatekeeper don't you pull that gatekeeping shit with us you gatekeeper and i was like ah, I, I don't understand what, what is this what is gatekeeper now when i say all this to you just know that this is all happening with me sitting on a metal bench at the car wash okay i remember this very clearly <laughs> this is because the show that show i think was you know was airing on thursdays or fridays at the time i don't think they had moved into wednesdays and it was a Saturday and I was at the local car wash when all of this discourse about my preference for John Walker, U.S. agent was going on. And I was being called a white supremacist, a Nazi myself, uh, you know, racist, whatever, whatever, by these hundreds of bots that were coming after me. And then it pivoted because I explained that I had a preference for this character going back to the comic books in 1987. And I was immediately categorized gatekeeper, gatekeeping, gatekeeper. And so someone else said, no, you're, you're trying. It's when you try and assert an authority over something as like, as a means of shielding yourself or putting yourself on a higher plateau. And I'm sorry, but sometimes you just know more than other people. You just, it's also called wisdom in this specific instance that I'm talking about. I felt it was misdiagnosed once I understood you know, what it was, what it was, uh, explained to me as I thought that's just a means with which to dismiss my preference for the character and, uh, make me seem as though I am less than the actual, if you were to put in gatekeeping on the internet, it says in terms of meaning, the activity of controlling and usually limiting access to something. A function or system that controls access <laughs> to files, computers, or networks. That, that's like an actual gate. Um, and uh, let me see what gatekeeper will, will uh, gatekeeper slang. To limit, manipulate uh, how much role another party often a spouse has in a task by extension to the slang or the internet to limit another party's participation in a collective identity or activity, usually due to pettiness, resentment, or overprotectiveness. Well, check this out. Gatekeeper, Urban Dictionary. One, uh, when someone is asshole enough to tell you that you don't have enough qualities to like what you want to be like or be what you want to be solely based on their opinions and experiences. So I was being told that I could not express my favor for this character um, because I was 
being a gatekeeper. Another definition here in the Urban Dictionary, one who devalues others' opinions on something by claiming they're not entitled to the opinion because they're not qualified. I wasn't expressing that, that they weren't qualified. I was being attacked and told that my preference for John Walker, U.S. agent, uh, and I remember reading that, like, Wyatt Russell was like, some people have had, like, really strong opinions to the character. And, you know, he came out on stage during D23 at U.S. Agent and had a good reaction. It's like the, the, the fans or whatever fever that was boiling over two years ago when it first aired has passed. And now there's, you know, maybe maybe now they're, they're deciding that there's redemption for the character. But, you know, being the guy that replaced Captain America was supposed to stir your emotions because you were used to seeing Chris Evans, this amazing version of Captain America that we all you know, had an elevated emotion for, an elevated preference for. And here comes Wyatt Russell as kind of the dickhead version of Captain America, which is true to how he was in the comics, but there wasn't this butthurt aspect that was suddenly felt across a, a spectrum of fans for John Walker in the comics as they were seeing him in the flesh and blood. So by me telling others, well, no, 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 I liked him and he was quite popular, both truths, I did like him. He was quite popular. I was a gatekeeper. Get out of here with your gatekeeping shit. So they they were trying to make it that I was saying, no, 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 no. You can't possibly dislike this character because he was popular. No, that's not what I was saying. I was saying I liked him. And I knew that he was well-received. But I was immediately being dismissed. So this gatekeeping thing can absolutely be abused. Gatekeeping in and of itself... Uh, I, I am not a proponent of, and I would never subscribe to saying you can't like anything. I believe everyone needs to like what they like. I mean, look at me. I live in, I work in a business that uh, I was able to carve a career out of myself doing a unique version of art, a unique depiction of characters, worlds, beings, storytelling that I do specific. And because people liked it, I was able to succeed. So... I understand there's all different styles, all manner of different styles. I, I told you, you know, in previous episodes, going back to the very first season, when I was a kid, there was arguments. Do you like John Byrne? Do you like George Perez? There was, they were the two guys that really people took sides on. Oh, I'm a Perez guy. I'm a John Byrne guy. It's like they wanted to win. It's like sports teams. It gets back to sports teams. I'm Bulls. I'm Lakers. I'm Mavericks. I'm Spurs. Okay. Everybody has their, 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 their fandom and they want to, they want to defend it, but it doesn't make it gatekeeping. I don't think that qualifies as gatekeeping but when someone we had a situation in the comic book world recently where an artist went an artist cited another artist's work and said i'm basically i don't think i'm quoting exactly but it was along the lines of i'm tired of this people who haven't and and this is that painful phrase that was used that really lost the entire argument the artist said hasn't paid their dues hasn't paid their dues and then compared to what this artist had to go through to achieve what this artist achieved. It got a terrible reaction because it was deemed immediately as gatekeeping. And what was the real kind of telltale sign of the gatekeeping is that you haven't paid, paid your dues. Now, let me tell you right now, the you haven't paid your dues moniker triggers me. It triggers something terrible in me. I'm, I have a very poor reaction to that. I was, as I explained on my dedicated Hawk and Dove episode in season one, I worked for a megalomaniacal, megalomaniacal in Captain Insano editor on Hawk and Dove, who constantly tore me down, uh, berated me, 
screamed at me not once but twice through the phone. Literally, like, had to put the phone away from my ear by about a foot and a half. And uh, no less on a weekend. Called me on a weekend. Uh, someone who I, my experience with him, I found him to be very unhinged. I found out that I was not the only person that he dropped the you haven't paid your dues. Now, he would constantly remind me that he didn't feel like I was qualified to even do the job on Hawk and Dove, but he hired me because everyone else turned him down. So again, think of how wonderful that felt. But I was like, no way, man. Like I was just, it, I'm going to tell you really, I was here in Southern California going, I don't, it, it doesn't matter what you think. I'm going to exceed your expectations. I'm going to exceed everyone's expectations on this. I'm going to go for it. I am going to nail this role. And I did. Hawk and Dove was a giant hit. It was a giant hit. It, it took two characters who hadn't had a success in 20 years. One new version of the character that I helped create and bring into life and had to fight for the way that that character was depicted in, 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 in regards to Don Granger and uh, Dove herself. And again, Carl Kiesel, who was one of the co-writers, was very specific in his afterword that he wrote in the trade paperback and said, you know, Rob stood by his guns and and very much wanted to depict this character in a certain way and fought for it because the editor was completely against. So, I mean, I, I won so many early battles um, that I knew I had to I had to make this thing my own. I had to make this thing work. And I was really uh, just so hungry to make it succeed. And I'm so happy that it did. But the entire time I was being told constantly, oh, well, you know, you're just... You're just so lucky that you even have this job. I mean, you, you, you skip steps getting this assignment. You know, you, you really didn't pay your dues. You really didn't pay your dues. I resent and hate that so much, that, that phrase. And I would never use it for anyone else. And no one who's ever worked with me has heard me say it because I resent it and hate it so much. Now, you understand, you're talking to a guy who started a studio of young artists. What kind of dues under that, if, if I had that moniker, that auspice ab about me, I mean, how would anyone qualify? Everyone needs to start. Everyone needs a launch pad. Everyone needs an opportunity to shine. So in doing that, they're going to inevitably pay their dues. I was paying my dues by doing Hawk and Dove, by doing that miniseries from the outset of my career. How ironic that, it, that I was told I was paying my dues when no one else wanted a job. I knew six other artists who turned the job down. They just weren't interested in the characters, not in the way I did. I read the one-page outline from the Kiesel's in the summer of 1987, and I wanted this job so bad. I wanted it so bad. I was like, oh my gosh, I can make this thing. I'm a huge Titans fan. I'm a huge classic Hawk and Dove fan. The other people, the other veteran people that they went to, they didn't have that same love affair with the characters, that same affection for the characters. I loved the early Hawk and Dove comics by Gil Kane, by Steve Ditko. I was ready. I wanted it, but I had to wait till five other people, at least, that's what I know of, turned the job down. One person I know, his name is Art Tiber. He went to do Time Masters. Uh, which was a, another miniseries that came out right around the same time. He turned it down. He was a buddy of mine. He lives here in Orange County. We had come up. He's a little older than I am. Uh, he was probably college age when I was in high school. I'd say he's probably four years older than me, maybe a little, little more. Uh, tremendously talented illustrator, artist, inker, embellisher, all of it. Uh, he went on and worked with uh, in, in that same office doing a lot of Superman books. And he told me at one point that that same editor had told him the exact same thing. Uh, you didn't pay your dues. You didn't, this pay your dues thing is crazy. 
it's it's very um it, it'll it'll trigger it'll definitely trigger every time people don't like to be told that they didn't put in the work when in fact they are putting in the work so if that is applied to you then that is i understand the gatekeeper moniker being basically saying you aren't qualified to be at this station in this consideration because you didn't go through another path that has been determined to be the only path to get to success. Well, that's poppycock. That and that's putting it in the most PG, the most PG terms. That is absolute poppycock. So when it comes to one artist single out another artist and saying, man, I'm so tired of this, of people not paying their dues in the way that I did. And then this artist also went on to compare their historical youthful interactions being a comic book nerd and uh we've talked so many times in the podcast how again with my kids i have seen and all their friends i mean my boys played football played played uh played played football played basketball extensively played uh you know soccer all my kids we 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 saw tons of sports they were part of tons of sports squads and the football players the basketball players the soccer players, the baseball players, they all had tons of comic book Marvel DC gear on and maintain and still do because it has gone completely mainstream. But you can't look back and resent that when you were breaking in, it wasn't and hold that against people who are now breaking in because it's not. Who cares? And so when it comes to gatekeeping, I do believe it was not properly served to me. I think it was just People couldn't handle the fact that I wouldn't toe the line that John Walker was some Nazi bigot on the show and that I enjoyed his interaction and his uh, his portrayal because I know absolutely that they didn't just create this character to be that stereotype on U.S. Uh, Winter Soldier Falcon, Falcon Winter Soldier. I knew, I knew that they had bigger, you know, plans for him. And obviously now that he's alongside so many other cast members in, in this uh, ensemble of Thunderbolts, you know, Wyatt Russell and, and the character John Walker, the character U.S. agent, is going to get continue to get a lot of play. And I am, uh, you know, just because the character starts out at a certain place, you have to understand, no, they're going to go in a different direction. And just by telling people that I was certain that this character would would work out for the better, you being called a gatekeeper just because I experienced something in my life, it's the reverse. I don't believe that this artist could call another artist because their path wasn't their path wasn't the same path as theirs and call it gatekeeping in the same way that you can't tell me just because I know something more about comics history that I am a gatekeeper. I'm not using it to you trying to tell you that you can't like something because I know more about it. But in fact, there's going to be people who know more about at this point in time, I am quite certain. And it pains me to say this, that my 20 year old son knows more about the star Wars of this time than I do. He has watched all Every episode of Clone Wars, all the Bad Batch, everything. He has more interaction with the material than I have. He knows more of the characters, more of the side characters. Of course, I know, you know, Cad Bane and I know Ahsoka, all these characters. But there are more because I have not watched every episode of Clone Wars. I kind of jumped off after episode, after season two. He kept going. He kept going through every single episode. Um... And you know what? He doesn't know as much as the people that read every single Expanded Universe book. I read about every other Expanded Universe book when they were coming out in the late 90s. The Courtship of Princess Leia, okay? Han Solo at Star's Edge. Uh, you know, or uh, just, just all of the different... Sp- sp- Splinter of the Mind's Eye. The, the, the Timothy Zahn, the, the, the 
Admiral Thrawn trilogies. I mean, I've read so many, but but there are people who've read every single novel, have seen all the Clone Wars, every possible Star Wars possible. They know more than me. If they want to share that with me, they're not a gatekeeper. That does not that does not make them a gate. Now, if they tell me that I can't enjoy it because I don't have the same knowledge as them, then that I understand is gatekeeping, and that is 100% bullshit. And we can call it bullshit. But just because you can say to somebody, no, 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 you don't understand. This is not like like he su- he was super popular in the co- gatekeeper. No, that's just a fact. He was super popular in the comic books. Okay, did I say popular? Yeah, popular. I think I, I pronounced popular weird. He was super popular in the comics. U.S. Agent had a great fan following, a great reaction. He was a great foil. He was like the Guy Gardner, that the rogue Green Lantern of the DC universe in, in the Marvel universe as the dark rogue captain. But again, I was gatekeeper, gatekeeper. You're gatekeeping. What? No, no, no. I'm just telling you that what I experienced had me like this character. And because I don't hate him the way you are does not make me a gatekeeper. It's just, we have a, wait for it, wait for it. We have a difference of opinion. And I think differences of opinions are not always necessarily gatekeeping. But when that opinion is shaped and formed and weaponized to say, you don't deserve what you have because you didn't achieve it in the way I did is 100% gatekeeping. And I understand that. And I think what happened in the comics community was unfortunately a manner of gatekeeping because look, I got Brigade remastered number one. I got my copies in from the printer and I'm flipping through here. I'm going to tell you right now, I gave a bunch of new of new um, artists. Just, just I'm not running a studio anymore. It's more like a virtual studio. But I can cra- uh, uh, casually look at this and say, okay, well, um, I know this isn't Ryan Kincaid's, you know, first break, but it's probably his most high high profile break. Same with Ron Williams. That's two. Uh, same with uh, Thomas Hedglin or Hedglin Hedglin. Matthew Seaborn, I know for sure, was freaking out. Uh, in in a in a previous comic, uh, also uh, the names of Rob Willis, uh, s- some some others. Oh, who, who who am I missing here? Raymond Leonard. Okay, Raymond Leonard. They're, these guys have been grinding away doing um, self-published work, Kickstarter work. Maybe, maybe they've been exposed to 2,000, 2,500 eyeballs, but now they're going to be 20, 25,000 eyeballs. And you know what? There's eyeballs above that. There's X-Men level eyeballs, 80,000. You know, there's there's Batman at its peak. There's Spider-Man, 100,000 eyeballs. Okay, right now that it's available in our marketplace. So I'm giving shots to new talent all the time because I love new talent. There is no way I would put some barometer of, well, you have to do X amount of work before I'm going to hire you. That is 100% bullshit. And I don't stand for that. I am a guy who welcomes. I am The gate is open. I want you to come in. I want new talent. I want people participating. So I'm the last guy to subscribe to that school of thought. But I think it is an interesting, uh, you cannot, you should not, you should not use gatekeeping as a way to keep other opinions away from your opinion and, and somehow twist it. That's the U.S. agent John Walker argument. Wait, you don't think he's a, a racist Nazi like I do? Because I've already completely... I mean, I'm, you go back in time, people hated the portrayal of U.S. agent John Walker on the uh, Falcon Winter Soldier show. It, was, it, it, get, it got scary emotional. It was weird. Now I look back, obviously I see, like I said, the Chris Evans, the replacement. I mean, they... they, they man, it, it was really weird. They got kind of too caught up into it. But... And I remember I tweeted support for Wyatt Russell and the characters. I'm like, come on, this character is a great character in the comics. And gatekeeper, no, not the right, not the correct use of that term, not even in the slightest. So let's figure out the proper way to assert that 
before we start throwing it around just because our opinions differ because that's not okay. So guys, what a show. D23, a lot of product, a lot of genre, a lot of Star Wars. I mean, Willow, Avatar, a lot of Marvel stuff. What is Marvel's anchor? Do they have one? Do they know what it is? Um, a lot of cool stuff coming out. A lot of great people making some fun stuff for all of us to entertain us. And uh, and then there's this whole manner of gatekeeping. Thought we would give that some volume and uh, and, and get, get that out there and discuss that and kind of try and decipher what is and isn't. And maybe we made some headway. Maybe we didn't, but we gave it our best shot. Thank you, as always, for listening. You guys, I read your um, very generous, very kind, uh, very, very um, sweet reviews at the end of each and every episode. And 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 when you guys are are so kind and, and leave these for me, I am so moved and and I, I absolutely love sharing what you guys write to me. And and the when you guys are sharing your passion for this podcast, it, it just moves me so deeply. And again at D23, so many people love the podcast, love the podcast. And I say, why? Why do you love the podcast? They're like, because I learned so much. I'm learning so much. I'm learning about comics history. And that thrills me. That's why I started this com- this podcast. I have just got too much in my head and too much that I absorbed over. I mean, good Lord, you go to, you go to 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 50 years of comic book collecting. Holy shnikes. Five decades. I'm just trying to share it with you all so that we can all participate and all swim in the same waters. It's so much fun. And I all I can do is share it, whether you absorb it, how you uh, interact with it is on you. But thank you for listening. Today's review, you can leave reviews for this show on the Apple podcast. Um, that's probably the most popular of all the different, um, of all of the different uh, venues and, and ways to uh, to share. Um, the, uh, man, we, we have just been, I mean, you guys have been so generous lately. Let me read today for you from uh, P.J. Roscoe. P.J. Roscoe 92. P.J. Roscoe 92 writes, great podcast, gives us five stores. Thank you so much for writing this and and, and the generous uh, uh, just sharing. It says, my sweet spot of buying new comics was the mid-80s, but collected through the 70s as well. Stopped for a while when I went away to college. This is a great podcast that brings me all the way back to my childhood. I love this podcast from the jump. As a kid, I was always disappointed that the Justice League Avengers crossover didn't happen. I absolutely love the episode where you explained why. Keep up the great work. PJ Roscoe, thank you so much for reaching out and telling me that you enjoyed that. See, there's stuff that sometimes I go, everybody knows this. I'm just wasting people's time. And every time I'm shocked that that someone doesn't know because I have no idea what you know as opposed to what I have absorbed and I have absorbed so much so I just enjoy sharing with you. And you guys know this podcast will always be free. It will always come to you free for you to um, listen on your commute, listen while you work in the garage, listen while you create, draw, paint, um, listen you know, in, in whatever, while you're jogging, while you're taking your afternoon um, um, exercise at the gym, wherever so many of you, you have all shared with me. Those are the ways that you enjoy this show. And I am so touched. I am so moved. Thank you. And thank you, PJ Roscoe 92 for leaving that amazing review. When you leave these reviews, these comments, I read them here on the air at the end of each and every episode. You guys, I am all over social media on Twitter, the whole long name at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D with the blue check. It's really me. I love talking to you guys. 
mentions, comments, back and forth. Um, it's, it's such a blast. I love talking to you guys in real time. The Twitter platform really, there's nothing like it in, in regards to being able to talk back and forth in real time. So that's where you can catch me on Twitter. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. So shortened version, Rob Liefeld with another blue check. I read your mentions, your comments, all of the great ways that you interact with me, um, your DMs. I catch them all. I try and get back to you guys. I try and share when you share. Continue to um, follow me on both Instagram and Twitter. I appreciate you. I appreciate it so much. I am on an incredible app called Whatnot. I am on Whatnot. I am Rob Liefeld on Whatnot. It is, is a selling and collectibles app. You can get cards. You can get manga. You can get uh, uh, tra- trading cards, game cards, comics, Funko Pops, toys, artwork. I sell almost all of those except for manga. I am here to share that with you on my Whatnot app. I am on once a week, twice a week sometimes. But you can look me up and follow me on Rob Liefeld. Uh, we do direct. I, I People say it's like a extension of this podcast. I'm, I'm a little more unfiltered there. Unfortunately, I'm trying to kind of find my filter on whatnot. I get a little carried away. You can follow me on whatnot, download the app, follow me and catch one of my shows. And maybe you'll see something you like, maybe you won't, maybe you just want to come along for the interaction with all of the different people who jump on. We welcome you on whatnot. Get that app. Follow me at Rob Liefeld. This page has a Facebook page, a dedicated Facebook page, Rob's Observations with Rob Liefeld. Hit it with a like, a follow, a, a comment. I will find you. I will react. I will I will, I will. will comment back. More importantly, I have a Facebook group called Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. I am the administrator along with a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. I say that to you in, in case you're trying to weed out which maybe you didn't, maybe when you go do it, you're like, what, which group was that again? Well, it's it's the one with me as the administrator or moderator and Terry as the administrator moderator. There's only two of us. One of us will click you in. We'll um, allow you to, uh, we'll approve the post because it's that kind of a group. We are just bursting at the seams. Great new people, great new faces all the time. We cover the, a wide spectrum of comics, basically anything I've ever been involved with. And I've been involved with everything. So everything's on the table. And if I wasn't, I am now like, like I wasn't involved with Snake Eyes and G.I. Joe, but now I am, you know? Until so there's an entire body of work there, and that opens up uh, for, for more sharing and more fun. And just join us on Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group over on Facebook. And happy to welcome you to the fold. Whew! I am all over the place. Here's the deal. The thing that's the most important out of, out of all this is, are you doing okay? Relax. Slow down. Talk to a friend. Um, enjoy the company of others get out. Sometimes I have to make myself get out of the house and get out and just walk around the block, drive around the neighborhood. I just got to get out every day and kind of refresh. Um, maybe get offline, watch a movie instead, watch some great streaming, read a great comic book, read a novel like my wife does read lots of great comic books, read trade paperbacks, get entire giant, you know, absolute editions, get artist editions, lose yourself in the stuff you love. So it'll fill your soul because you're spiritual, you're emotional, you're mental and you're physical health are important more now than ever. And, uh, so feed it. And as I've always said, do it with a great bag of Cheeto puffs, cool ranch Doritos, a cupcake, some ice cream. I I believe in junk food. I believe it's there to fill our souls. Not every hour of every day, but there's a time and a place. Let's call it a cheat meal, whatever it is. When you're eating that chocolate and reading that comic book, does it get any better? You know, it doesn't. So you guys, I'm rooting for you. Hang in there. Let's let's do this together. I am I got your back. I know you got my back. Swing on back. Speaking of backs, the next time I'm gonna be here, I'll be looking for you because we most certainly, absolutely will talk again real soon.
Thank you.